It's our wrap of the top business stories. Ten minutes it is before 8pm and joining me to take a look at uh, the latest in the world of money and power. I'm joined by market analyst Bandila Matandela. Mdaka Matandela, masu kwa mgele ngale nchikala ngu Metro FM talk. Eh, good day. Man bulli sekundani go. Eh, fondin. It's been a long day. It, it is. has been it a long day. No, I mean, must come along. We'll get, to, we'll get to that one at the end. Yo, I because yeah. I, I want us to at least dedicate some some time to that one. For us, let's call it a crypto for deep. Twenty-nine-year-old gentleman here uh, yeah. grew up in Mahalisburg, Hamilton Cheong, uh, and uh, it seems he is at the center of assisting law enforcement. To make sense of this reported theft of nearly three billion US dollars, forty-three billion. Yo, I wish yo, you know what you're doing. Yeah, I'm going forty-three billion to be well. Eye-popping figure, uh, which uh, yeah is seen now at the center of a hack, as claimed by the Kaji brothers, who have uh, yeah, I guess uh, yeah, fled South Africa as well, uh, fearing for their lives. Uh, after receiving death threats after this hack a lot of smoke and daggers here bandile but uh, it seems this uh, gentleman here uh, mr chong is at the center of trying to help us make sense of it yeah definitely i mean i think <clears throat> a very interesting story um personal life story and i mean i was looking at this um particular gentleman as you rightly mentioned the you know 29 year old south african born um guy who was basically grew up in Johannesburg comes from um, South Africa, has gone through um, sort of poverty, being, on a, being homeless at some point, and has become quite an instrumental figure um, in us sort of trying to resolve um, this money that has, has allegedly had gone missing, uh, dealing with uh, um, sort of this cryptocurrency issue. Uh, I mean, I think this issue of the uh, founders of cryptocurrency companies um, going AWOL is something that is becoming common now. If we, of course, remember that the MTI CFO, CEO also is, is, is still missing mm. um, um, post this. And also the, the links between this company, um, these the brothers and the MTI are also quite interesting. So anyway, I think going back to, 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 to this guy um, who's sort of assisting us, um, he's become quite an instrumental figure. He seems to, his company, which is the CIB, seems to have a huge understanding of yeah. how um, the cryptocurrency world works and they've designed sure. this tool that uh, is able to track all these transactions. And from what we understand, looking at this specific story with the Kajer brothers, he is saying that he doesn't, um, that the, the information and the data that he's getting doesn't tie up with mm. the original uh, explanation that was given by the brothers saying that there was a hack from Ukraine. He's saying that this doesn't necessarily, this doesn't really add up and make sense. Um, but it, for me, it's a very interesting one. And I think the, bro- the broader conversation is just around this issue around cryptocurrency. Is it really a reliable thing that people mm. should be investing in? We're seeing the stories of people, you know, founders disappearing, going AWOL, people looking for their money, people losing a lot of money. But I think going back to 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 the to the, to the story, uh, you know, I think it's it, it's quite interesting and for me quite positive to see that a South African-born person is at the yeah. center of it all and assisting our law enforcement agencies. I, I don't know if you watch Ikwani series at Tuangu go start up. This sounds uncannily familiar. Uh, to uh, some of the storylines there, and uh, I guess I'm not going to talk about that any further. But I, I must say, I mean, this whole idea of having alternative forms of value accumulation mm. in the cyber web, sometimes in the dark web. Uh, I mean, 
the suggestion here by the Kaji brothers is that some Ukrainians have come in, you know, crashed their system, took away with hundreds of billions of crypto. Um, and I'm sitting here when Abandila is saying, I don't know, do we really even think that uh, if, if an incident report was submitted, um, you know, say for instance, we tattoo an incident report, Yasiwa, to a police station in Durban. Yeah. Where would the constable start? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, that's the complication Aya, that's brought in by, you know, this rate of digitization and the fact that the world is sort of going through this transition where we're moving from a lot of things that were done through manual processes to a lot of digital processes. I mean, I think it's still easy when you're dealing with just a process issue. But once you start dealing with currency, once you're dealing with value being, you know, sought in different types of form, it would be very difficult for um, the typical um, police station in South Africa or the typical law enforcement agents in South Africa to deal with it. So it's a very complicated one. And I think for me, the, the takeaway from this story is that we possibly need to build our capacity mm. to be able to handle such stories. I mean, I think it's one thing we're dealing with crypto, but I think cybersecurity, digitization as a whole, requires that as a country we probably you know have a, a, an introspection where we actually really ask ourselves within the NPA, within the various law, law enforcement agencies, do we have the necessary capacity to able to assist us and deal with the various attacks that we have? We know Transnetters uh, hey, implemented hey. a number of force measures because of hey. cyber attacks. We've, we've, we've seen our banks uh, fall victim of this a couple of times over the, the, the last couple of years. You know, and I think for me, the question now goes back to the state security agencies to say, do we have the capacity in place to be able to deal with such crimes? As you rightly fully say, you know, if you take this normal case, you know, even Durban is even much better. You know, if you take this case and you take it to a Manuti, you know, and you tell them that there's cryptocurrency missing, what are they even going to do, you know? So I think for me there's an opportunity here, and I think maybe we need to leverage off of having people like um, this young man that has been uh, assisting the law enforcement agents to say, how do we build and capacitate our law enforcement agencies to be able to deal with such crimes? Because I have a feeling that these are going to be more common as we begin to really transition into this digital era that we all um, seem to be speaking yeah. about, and um, I think it's been termed the fourth industrial re- industrial revolution. Yeah, yeah, it's been scary what has happened to Transnet and some of the divisions there. I mean, uh, you know, to be hamstrung and to be held at ransom in that way by a hack. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were reports. I don't know Bunyani Bars, or I haven't authenticated them, so Ningan Booz, but that was suggesting that certain ships are bypassing. Durban. Now we know Durban's the largest port for us here. I mean, I was making a comparison yesterday. Just in June alone, um, there were probably like a multiple uh, or multiples more ships that went through Durban than than went through, for instance, the port of East London or any of the mm. other smaller ports, mm. even Nengu Haleo, you know. So, so I think for me, this this was uh, one that was quite unsettling for me. But let's shift to Bonitas, and yeah, uh, yeah if Bonitas is your medical aid cover, hey, Nibenzeli Mali. Because by deciding not to go to the hospital for fear of contracting COVID, you've effectively given them uh, around, uh, what's this, 1.7 billion rand? Yeah, surplus. Surplus, crazy. unprecedented. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, and I suppose it's this, it's this narrative, you know, and, 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 and for me, when, when I was looking at this story, I actually thought of a conversation we had the last time we spoke where we said, you know, are there any positives of the civil unrest? And for me, this extends to now COVID, you know, and we're Mm. beginning to see some of that, you know. 
Um, the medical aid, of course, Bonetius in this particular case reporting a surplus of about 1.7 billion rand. And they've been, they've said that at the center of this is the fact that people have been sort of reluctant to go to hospitals to utilize the medical aid funds. And as a result, it's been a positive for them. You know, of course, they have had an increase in claims related to COVID-19. But on an overall spectrum, it seems like it has been quite a huge benefit from them. So it's one of those, you know, on one end, you've got a crisis, you've got a pandemic. But of course, it seems like there are winners um, in this this specific pandemic. But of course, whether or not this is something that's going to be sustainable uh, for the future is a different conversation. But nonetheless, it seems like Bonitas um, is seeing the upside of the, um, of the of the pandemic at the current moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess, you know, I mean, this just shows um, that also in this context, people have largely kept up, I mean, with their contributions. You certainly yeah. haven't had this yeah. mass exodus from medical schemes that many were anticipating. Yeah, I think it also probably speaks to the fact that, I, uh, you know, if if you're looking at your expenses right now and you're trying to prioritize, you know, we are currently going through a health um, pandemic. Would you want to be cutting your health expenses or something that would cover you from a health complication perspective? Mm. So probably no, you know. So I yeah. think the bigger thing there is, in as much as, you know, we've got um, an ailing economy and people seem to be deferring on, on various um, commitments and financial obligations it seems like medical aid is not one of those that have experienced that you know so for me you know it, it, it's a very very interesting one um this 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 thing and whether or not it's it's it's, it's i don't think it's unique to bonitas and i think what we'll begin to see is a lot of these medical aids beginning to come out um and, and re- so possibly reporting surpluses and what may be the question is 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 in this particular context and in an environment where they're reporting um surpluses do they have a bigger role to ha- to play in helping and facilitating and assisting government with mm. um, this this fight against covid-19 and perhaps that's a conversation that both you and I uh, won't have answers to but i think for me there's, there's a conversation to be had there you know we're seeing the surpluses of all good and well but nonetheless the company the, the country still faces um quite a, a huge challenges with regards to sure. covid-19 and should sure. we be expecting more um, for, for from them uh, for this medical aid in terms of um, the, the, pro, the the role they play in um, fighting the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I I would even take it beyond the pandemic. I think um, they need to play a big role now. Yes, but hey, uh, all these surpluses mm. needs to be paving the way to that national health insurance. My my child because uh, I think if we are to face another public health crisis of yeah. similar or even more proportions. Uh, we're going to find ourselves in uh, somewhat of a fix. Definitely. Um, and I think the broader conversation, even beyond health, and I think health is a very topical matter right now and mm. a very relevant one. Um, but I think it's, it's around this broader conversation on what role does private sector have to play in the development exactly. of the country. Exactly. You know, because they're sitting with heavy um, cash reserves, they're sitting with surpluses, they're sitting with extensive with with a lot with 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 profits. And the the real question is, you know, is it just the responsibility of government um, uh, to develop the country, and what role and to what extent should private sector be involved? So I think for me, it begins to open up conversations around that, you know, because people are obviously benefiting right now in this particular case, Bonitas. But I think we need to start asking the right questions, particularly relating to our healthcare system, because I think if this pandemic has shown us one thing, is is, is that there's a need and a huge need for collaboration and for us to join hands as uh, we begin to stabilize our health system. And I think NHI probably presents us 
with the best opportunity to be able to do that. Of course, there's been a lot of issues around the NHI. Uh, I was reading an article as well earlier on just around mm. the issue around transformation within the NHI as well, which I think becomes also a big one. Yeah, and these are weighty matters, Bandi, we might be talking about them for like three or four minutes Mm. in the evenings, Mm. but uh, I don't think, just for the purposes of our listeners, that you must think that these are things that uh, we just talk about, and I certainly hope that in our spaces, in our homes, you know, uh, in the workplace, there, Mm. uh, you know, the water container, of course, but, but I do think that in the spaces that we have, uh, these are the discussions that we ideally should be having. Um, yeah, because, I mean, yeah. if there's anything I agree with with what the finance minister was saying, is that let the debates be had. Let's let's open up these discussions about around these things and what role, for instance, you know, the private sector can play in dealing with massive developmental challenges uh, in our society. But uh, let's shift quickly just to Coca-Cola on yeah. another piece of good news here. Production line, Ipinde Avulwa. Uh, and, uh, yeah, these guys were heavily hit out in KZN. I mean, they have... Um, a few operations in that part of the world, uh, Richards Bay, Freyheit, Mnambi, Lady Smith, uh, Maritzburg, Phoenix, and uh, one in Durban as well. And uh, it seems, yeah, after some disruption on the back of that social unrest, uh, back in production. Yeah, definitely. It's good to see that uh, nonetheless there are organizations that have become, are beginning to return to return to normality. And I think for me, the bigger implication here is always around jobs. You know, you always want to look at what these companies do because it tends to have an effect on um, the average citizen in terms of their jobs. So it's good news to hear that Coca-Cola is back in production and I'm quite happy as well for the people that uh, uh, probably were worried about their jobs um, during this uncertain time. So good news nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, one of those stories, I guess, that are important to at least signal that uh, uh, mm. so, uh, mm. because uh, that's where we were hit, you know, that's um, in, the, in the upstream productive activi- activity in our economy, uh, which uh, was spreading untold panic. And I think that's what, uh, uh, and that's a message that we really need to underscore. I want us to talk now about, yeah, la 38.85 billion. That was amazing. <laughs> In my mm. view, but um, yeah, some of your thoughts on this, um, and also I guess uh, this question of reprioritization, fiscal neutrality, and uh, I guess uh, the, the no implication on our borrowing requirement. Yeah, I think probably uh, yeah, that's the first point, right? The fact that there's no implication on our borrowing requirements on our debt levels, which I think for me, as I mean, I remember I'm mean, just think back, going back to when the president was making this speech and I was listening to all of these interventions being announced, the first question that came into my mind is, do we have the money to be able to sustain what we're saying? You know, so good news coming in from Treasury at the, today to say that we're not going to be um, uh, issuing any further debt, but nonetheless, you know, it's money from the fiscus. Um, 30, what, 39 billion rand, quite a substantive amount. Um, I think if you look at the, 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 the breakdown, um, about 27 billion rand going towards that 350 relief grant, um, with, with about 36 billion rand coming from, um, additional money collected from the revenue. I think what, the, what the silver lining in this, all of this and the good, the good news in all of this is that it seems like the revenue is uh, beginning to recover. Revenue that took to the levels that we wanted. Of course, we're benefiting from the commodity prices in mm. the mining sector. In the mining sector, um, but I think for me, you know, it was a very interesting one. Reprioritization of budgets. We're looking at about what 3.6 billion, 
And I think for me, one of the biggest um, in, uh, points here was um, that that uh, 200 million that's going to be redirected to the SAPS. We know we know that they went through some budget cuts. Mm. Again, another process of reprioritization. To what extent are these budget reprioritization beginning to affect? the functions of the other departments. Because in this particular case, you know, we're all having a conversation around the response of the SAPS. But I think there's also a question to say, did they have the necessary resources to be able to respond? And to what extent have they been affected by previous budget cuts and budget budget reprioritization? But I think for me, the the good news, you know, and I'll take that, is that we're not um, going to be extending our debt any further. But a very interesting one, you know, I was following that... um, press conference quite um, uh, attentively and um, yeah, some some interesting points that came through there from the minister. Yeah, M- maybe just some of your thoughts, uh, Bandile, the issues around, you know, the vaccination program. We know the yeah. vaccination program is critical to, you know, the reopening of key parts of our economy, key yeah. employers. Um, chief among those, of course, is uh, the tourism sector and uh, the events sector as well, which I guess has a knock-on impact on many other sectors. Um, and and the idea that we still are considering going to the World Bank, I mean, I thought that decision was long made, uh, this idea that there were certain facilities within, uh, you know, our special drawing rights and other uh, facilities that would allow us to access that. I, I, I'm just, am I missing something here? I mean, I thought this discussion was being had a long time ago, long before where we are now. Um, so are we still there? And also, what do you make, I guess, of some of the donations that have come through and what those are going to mean for for our revenue environment as well. Yeah, very, very interesting and a very heavy um, uh, topic that you're raising here. I mean, I think for me, I mean, I would share the same sentiments. You know, I, I was of the opinion that this is something that was resolved a long time ago, particularly with the existing facilities that we have. So it's quite interesting to see the developments um, happening right now. But I think, as you rightfully say, you know, the vaccine rollout is such an important part of what we're trying to do, both from an economic perspective and just a social perspective. You know, we need to get this right. And for me, I had huge concerns um, a couple of weeks or months ago when I heard that, you know, we're not vaccinating on weekends because of, you know, certain budget budgetary constraints. For me, you know, in a in a, in, a, in a situation like this where there's a pandemic, there's all these issues, we need to be reprioritizing, reprioritizing and making sure that healthcare and vaccination distribution is the most number one thing that we need to do. So for me, I think this vaccine distribution and this whole issue now around, you know, the the the, the, the the World Bank is quite an interesting one um, as to how it will play out. It is something that we need to just witness. But I think for me, you know, I, w- I was honestly just uh, under the assumption that this is, you know, water under the bridge. This is things that we already have in place. But um, it seems like we, our thinking was not necessarily 100% in this case. Yeah. Hey. Um, and maybe just the last one, what do you make of some of the remarks around, um, I guess, the, the fights that uh, the finance minister was, I guess, hinting at around uh, some of the social policy measures. Yeah, it's always an interesting... You see, this is another thing about South Africa. You know, we've got um, a very complicated country and I think social relief and the social aspect is such an important part of uh, the context and overall what we're trying to do as a country. But, you know, you've got a a minister that that sometimes, you know, and I must say at times doesn't really seem pro all of these things. So it's always an interesting one to see uh, how these things are going to sway and how that will go. 
But I think that the bottom the bottom line of it is that you know South Africa is the country that it is, you know, and uh, the, the social levers and the social interventions are still going to become relevant for years to come. You know, it's it's just a matter of instead of us fighting them, let's find a way to 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 best implement. Uh, some of these interventions uh, in such a way that um, it doesn't put yeah. our fiscus in um, in a tight uh, corner. Aish, Dagamatandel, Masishi Abamshlobam. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thank you very much, Budaya, and uh, do have a good evening going forward. Awesome stuff. Take care.